talk about hope and that this is a day of hope. And, and, and my heart's cry, really, expectation is you're going to walk out uh, in a few minutes carrying fresh hope because that's the message of this day. Um, bit of background, we um, have a lot to do with some ch- a group of churches in Europe and England and Germany and Denmark and Switzerland. And uh, one of the favorite places I love to go, because I love the pastor there, is a city called Flensburg in Germany. It's right up the top there um, on the border with Denmark. Um, and, uh, and it's an interesting city, it's on the coast, but remember the first time I went there, the pastor, it's a, only an hour away where we were based at, do some stuff in Denmark, the pastor drove, picked me up, and we're driving to the city, and he points at this house and says, oh, see that house over there? That's where the Nazis finally surrendered. So after Hitler died, a group retreated to Flensburg, and it was the last hold, it was the last stand of the Nazis, and he's like, oh, see the high school over there? That, that used to be called Adolf Hitler High School. It's like... Yep, this place has got an interesting history, and, um, and, and, and it's on the coast, and if you know, um, kind of middle, southern middle Germany is kind of the engine room of Europe, really prosperous, real wealthy, but up in the north it's a bit remote, it's a bit more poor, but more backward, it's two hours to an airport from this place, and, um, and, they, um, and, and it used to be the place, like the industrial cities in, in Europe of shipbuilding, but now they still make a few ferries, but it's not like that that age is gone. And so it's like, it's heyday was in the past, it's poor, it's an old industrial city, northern Germany, um, and, uh, and also, um, and it's on the coast of the Baltic Sea, and it floods, and so like, this is only half a joke, but like, they put me in this beautiful hotel there, and like, a lot of hotels have this little... Um, stand at the bottom with a whole lot of umbrellas in it. They have a stand with a whole lot of gumboots in there for when the place floods. And so you're just like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a challenging place. Uh, but we have this incredible young part. They kind of like the, the flip of the, um, the Harveys. It's kind of the hipster pastor, and they've got three girls, not three boys. But they're just this beautiful family that have, picked, have grown this church. And again, it's just got this incredible vibe. The guy's name's Simon Powell. Incredible vibe of life and enthusiasm. And there's all these struggling little churches. And then suddenly there's just this place of life and, and enthusiasm that this guy carries. He's a really interesting guy. He, he was, a, as a young guy, he trained as a baker. He worked as a baker in London. And then they kind of have to do military service in Germany. So he's like, oh, they're just going to put me in the blooming kitchen baking bread. It's like, I don't want to do that. So he went to the interview and they're like, Any, anything you want to do? And he said, you know, I've always fancied myself jumping out of a plane shooting a machine gun. <laughs> so they made him a paratrooper. Like he was, so he went from baking bread to being a German paratrooper and then he went to Bible college and, and now he leads this church. Um, but, the, but the reason I'm talking about him is... Um, uh, I, he told me once about the, uh, the defining moment of his ministry, and, and this is how the lady on the right, is her name's Lavinia Dewar, she's one of the pastors of our churches in England, she's a medical doctor, so she does a lot of ministry around inner healing and deliverance and, and mental health and neuroplasticity, all that kind of cool, trendy stuff, and, and so she was doing a seminar for him, and he's translating it, um, and... Um, and, she, and he said, she just stopped kind of mid-sentence and looked at him and said, Simon, you're an apostle of hope. 
and it's light. And, and he just said it just moved him at the core of his being in this whole region that is kind of hopeless, that his mandate was to bring hope. I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of you here, but this call to be messengers of hope and, and, and to see how people come alive with someone who carries hope and the life of, and this life that's in, that kind of is encapsulated in being a people of hope. And I wonder if part of that's kind of, um, you know, for here. And so he's just a great guy as he dreams and schemes and strategizes. How do I bring hope to that whole region of northern Germany? So economically difficult, a background of bad things, that are a mandate to bring hope. And, and, um, and so for me, I think, you know, when we, we often talk about these things, Paul, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And like, we're, we're people of faith. We have this message, trust in God, we're saved by faith. And we're people of love. We know that we're called to love one another. And I feel like hope is like the, I don't know, like the, the sad stepsister or something. It's like, we kind of leave it out. You know, we're a community of faith that lives itself out in love, but it's like we miss there's something core to who we are that we're a people of hope. And maybe, maybe God might want to open our eyes this morning. For our own lives, we carry hope, but more than that, for this whole region, that we're apostles of hope, that we have a mandate to bring hope. Um, you know, Jesus talked about this, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And, and I feel like for some of that, what we, what we need to be able to carry is hope. What are we going to light up Hawke's Bay with? Hope. Yeah, faith in God. Yeah, love. But I feel like I, I, I want to kind of put in that third peg in the ground. Come on, we're a, we're a church of hope. We're a people of hope. You know, Jesus said, let your light shine before others. And, and yeah, we'll do deeds of love that meet needs and compassion, we'll do deeds of faith, but I reckon we need to do some deeds that shine a light of hope. And people who live in the darkness of hopelessness look at Bay Vineyard and go, maybe there's hope. Maybe my life could be different. Maybe this is not as good as it gets. Maybe things could change. And, and that we need to be a people who carry hope. You know, and Jesus, the other, the salt of the earth, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. And it's like, again, we could, we could be, have a message of faith. We could deeply commit to love. But I feel like part of the saltiness that we carry is hope. And I feel like that's quite a countercultural thing to be a people of hope. And on Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk about that we carry a message of hope. Um, and, and it's not a naive kind of like Christianity light, Pollyanna kind of thing. Like this is all, because Romans 5 says this, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Hope is not for young, naive, starting out in life, all that's all going to be wonderful. Hope is when you've been through some stuff and you've kept going and God's formed something and you can look people in the eye and go, this is not the end. It's not over. This is not going to define your reality. And, and I can speak hope because we've been through some stuff. And, and, and so uh, just, you know, man, for some of us that have been around a bit, the fact that you could look younger people in the eyes who are going through some stuff and go, no, no, there's hope. 
come on, there's hope. There's hope. And yeah, I kind of feel like God's all over this. I'm kind of tingling from here to toe. If you could kind of pick this, just uh, to be a people of hope in this community. Um, a few couple of years ago, I kind of was starting the year and I had this sense like, I don't know what the year's going to be, this conviction, it's going to be better. I thought, is that kind of the shallow, candy floss, Christianity light, prosperity theology? And the more I thought about it, I thought, no, it's actually a deep biblical conviction that my future is going to be better than my, than my present, than my past. And, and again, we looked at this verse last night. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Or another translation, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter. And it's like this conviction, no, i got to walk through some stuff, tough stuff, but I'm walking into the lights. I'm convinced that I'm walking into the light of day. I'm convinced, and if you'll keep walking too, I'm convinced that you're going to walk into something better than where you are now. Keep going. Don't give up. Oh, I wasn't gonna, I don't, we've got a young woman who was in our college. She'd, she'd had done her first suicide attempt at 12 and multiple suicide attempts in and out of psychiatric hospitals. And she just had this encounter with God that set her free. And, and she, she um, went to the movie school, produced this movie about suicide and hope for teenagers, started this charity called um, Voices of Hope. And just like three nights ago, she was announced Young New Zealander of the Year. Her name is Jazz Thornton. And it's like, um, it's like to say to a 14-year-old a girl with lots of self-harm and suicide attempts and in and out, you know, in, in um, like in six years' time, you're going to, you oh, and she had a, um, before, before they were toxic, she had a meeting with uh, Harry and Megan, was flying to Buckingham Palace to meet there, producing, move, she's published a book, she lives off the profits of a book, and you're just going to go, how does that happen? How does that happen? Because we're a people of hope. We're a people of hope. And, and there's a whole young generation in this region who need to know there's a light on the hill. There's a place called Bay Vineyard. And if you go there, man, there's hope. There's hope for you. There's going to be something better. We're going to walk you through to something better and a place of hope. Um, many of you would know this guy, Eugene Peterson, who's kind of famous for the message translation, but he's actually a biblical scholar. He wrote lots and lots of books. But... Um, 2018, he died aged 85, and he died in October, which I teach this biblical, I teach this theology course second semester, which by then I'm kind of dealing with death and heaven and hell. So the, the night before I'm about to teach this course, I hear that he's died, and because I, I, I was kind of a big fan of his. And, and then a week later, his family published a blog about it. And, and this is what, and you might be a bit cynical about some of this, but he just says this. During the previous days, it was apparent that he was navigating the thin and sacred space between earth and heaven, they stated. We overheard him speaking to people we can only presume were welcoming him into paradise. You might be cynical, that's what his family thought. He's talking to some people, I don't know what's going on, but man, something is going on here. And he, he was a Presbyterian minister, but it says that there may have even been a time or two when he accessed his Pentecostal roots and spoke in tongues. He's in a strange space, liminal space. <laughs> And, and stuff. But this is the part, this is why I shared this with my students. I showed you some photos. I've got a whole, you know, 
111, maybe mainly under 25, mainly Pacifica Maori students, and, and, um, and I shared this with him. Among his final words were, let's go. And his joy, my oh my, the man remained joyful right up to his blessed end, smiling frequently. In such moments, it's best for all mortal flesh to keep silence. But if you have to say something, say this, holy, holy, holy. And we've got, it was cool the year that students, that every time we announced something, there'd be this cry, let's go, let's go. And I, say, and I was like, you think you're cool because you say that when you're on your deathbed and you can say, let's go, then I'll think you're cool. And, and it's like the, the radical message of Christian hope, on your deathbed you go, the best is yet to come. The future is brighter. And this is the guy who spent 60 years studying, writing theology, biblical stuff. And on, the, on his deathbed, one of his final words, let's go. And it's like, man, that's hope. That's hope, eh? And, and, and I just want to show, even in the Old Testament, there was this incredible sense of hope. That there's always hope. Psalm, psalm 84 is a beautiful psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place. I can't remember if I preached on this when I was there at that famous funeral service, uh, funeral home service or not. But I love this thing. It's like, what a strange, I don't know how you would describe church, but lovely is often not a word that would come to mind. But I Googled it when I had, and I did, and there's not a lot of wiggle room on this. Lovely means lovely. And it's like the first, and these are, Kind of these were all kind of warrior psalmists, and the first thing that they want to say about God's house is it's lovely. Just beautiful things happen there. Lovely things happen. And so they talk about what that's, and part of it is verse 3, even the sparrows found a home. Just the little people find a place. And so verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. And it's like, for them, man, there's a blessing when I'm standing in the presence of God. And, you know, they, they had a literal temple that they had to do a pilgrimage to. And so there was a sense, when I'm, when I'm there, I'm blessed. For us, it's not a literal place. It's almost like our life is the package, right? And, but there are places in our lives where we go, man, this, this is just lovely. God has touched this part of my life. And that might not be a very cool, macho, Kiwi word. But according to the psalmist, it's the best word to describe what God does. He just makes things lovely. But then, they do, so blessed are that. But then straight away he says this. <coughs> blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Oh, I'm blessed when I'm in the house of God. But for them, they had to sometimes journey three or four days or a week through quite barren, wilderness, dangerous and dry places to get there. And, and here's the thing. I'm blessed when I'm here, but I'm also blessed on the way there. And how many people know sometimes there's parts of my life I'm not there yet. And God wants you to discover the blessing that's on the way. And it's like this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, but this, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And there's something about hope that my heart is set on, like, I'm not going to give up. I'm not pulling up the white flag. I'm not camping here. I'm not in a really great place in this part of my life. But I've set my heart out of a conviction of hope that I'm on my way somewhere. I may not be there yet. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. But I'm not going to stop here. And I think that's why hope is so important because it's like, yeah, there's parts of my life that are just awesome. 
But there's parts of my life that are currently a struggle and a grind and it's hard work. But yeah, and I'm blessed over there when I'm standing just enjoying these lovely things. But I'm blessed when I've set my heart on pilgrimage and I've discovered a strength of God that keeps me going when when I haven't arrived yet. You know, and again, as they pass through, not if they pass through, there are going to be some places which are just uh, flipping hard work. And Valley of Baca is the Valley of Tears. There's places in my life where it's just lovely, and I'm just going to enjoy the goodness of God. But there are some places where I've just got to walk through. But there's the other thing. I'm passing through. I'm not going to camp here. I have a conviction out of 50 years of following Jesus that there's something better. And I may not understand how I'm going to get through this. I may not understand what I'm doing. But hope is a deep, deep conviction. And I'm going to keep going through this. And I love the fact why, as they pass through it, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, what? Till each appears before God. I'm going to get here one day. But this is the classic vineyard, the tension of the already but not yet kingdom. Here I'm enjoying the goodness of God. Here, man, I'm not there yet. But there's a blessing that's there. But there's a blessing that's here that I discover God's strength. I discover something deep that says, just keep going. Just keep going. We need to be a people of deep hope. No, don't give up. Just keep going. Come on, we're with you. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Uh, this girl, Jazz, I talked about often posts things on social media to do with teenagers thinking about suicide. And it's like, no, stay here. Stay here another day. Come on, it's going to get better. We're with, stay here. And it's like, we, we want to be a people of hope in a culture of darkness and despair. Um, I love the fact that the psalm finishes then, Lord Almighty blesses the one entrusted in you. So the psalm is actually built around three blessings. It's like, hey, I'm blessed when I'm over here and it's all good. Hey, I'm blessed when I'm over here and I'm actually discovering God. And suddenly it's like you realize, oh, the blessing is not dependent on my circumstance. Actually, the blessing is that I'm trusting in you. That's why I have hope. I'm blessed because you're a good God in the parts that I'm enjoying. And I'm blessed even on the way. Why? Because I'm trusting that you're with me, that you're going to strengthen me, that you're going to take me forward. I have hope. Same, another one, Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> Some of us is like, but this was David. He, but part of his life is like, yeah, the, this, is, this is part of my life. God's peace, God's blessing, God's favor. But then you know it, this, even though I walk, again, through. Yeah, there's some dark valleys, but I'm going through them. The worst thing is when people give up in the valley. And, and, and there's an interesting, if you, if you go back here, the Lord, he, he refreshes, he guides me. In the dark place, it shifts, you, your. And something becomes real personal in the valleys. I can praise the God who does good things. But in the valley, it's like, this is between me and you. Like, I really need you. I've got to feel close to you, God. 
And that's why I can keep going. And, and so the conclusion of the psalm, just give, you know, this, you prepare a table before me specifically in the presence of my enemies. This weird ambiguity that we're living with stuff that is some challenges, but I'm believing God, I can enjoy something of that party in the midst of this. I'm not waiting till everything's sweet and then I'll party. No, I'm encountering your blessing in the midst of the challenges. And, and, you know, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And verse 6 is an incredible conclusion. Surely goodness and love. It's like this thing, like totally convinced, absolutely, truly, totally, like surely, this absolute conviction of hope. I pray this morning you go out of there with this. I'm totally confident of where my life is going. And, and goodness and love will follow me. We sang a song, um, what is it you're saying is coming after me? Your mercy or your love? Goodness. It's from the, uh, that language, coming after me. Israel Houghton, more Penty has a more aggressive song about your love is chasing me down. Both of those come from the Greek word, uh, Hebrew words behind follow, which is the words often used of, of enemies pursuing someone. And there's this conviction that, that the goodness and mercy of God are coming after me, are chasing after me, are hunting me down. If I'm not living in, it's not like I'm chasing after, like they're pursuing me, they're hunting me down. It's this conviction that I'm not going to be able to get away. At some point, they're going to hunt me down. At some, I have this absolute hope. At some point, God's goodness and love and mercy is going to land in my life because they're relentlessly pursuing me. That, like, that is an amazing concept of hope. Man, and it's not even like, you know, Psalm 84, man, if I can keep walking, I'm going to get there. It's like, as I'm standing there, I'm convinced these things are going to arrive because I'm so convinced of a person of hope founded on the goodness of God. And it's like, man, we need a message of hope. We need a message of hope. And so as I thought about that, I thought, actually, this is not Christianity light. This is not candy floss prosperity theology. This is actually quite deep Pauline conviction, David's psalm conviction. My future is better. And I can look young people in the eye and go, your future is better. I can look people who are in struggling, difficult situations and go, I've been doing this a long time. I can promise you your future is better if you'll just keep going. Your future is better. I just want to brief, quickly talk about what I think is the battle for hope. Because again, we're at the challenge of love, the challenge of faith, but I reckon there's a battle for hope. In fact, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, Paul DeYoung from Life Church talked, he's written a book on hope and he just talked about you know again faith hope and love oh nothing can separate us from the love of God you know faith is a gift he's like the devil goes after your hope the devil tries to attack your hope there's a battle for hope and I just want to talk about two things that I think about the first is disappointment you know the bible says valid hope deferred makes the heart sick something something deeply hurts us about disappointment I love, sometimes I'm interested in analyzing the words, disappointment. I thought I had an appointment with this. I thought this was what was going to come. I thought this was where I'm going, and it didn't happen. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but how many people have been disappointed? We've all been disappointed. We all thought this was coming. 
And I think one of the major challenges in Christian life is handling disappointment. Man, I had this dream. And, and my, something is now sick. Something has died in my heart because I was convinced that this is where my life was going. And, and it didn't happen. And, and just real quick, I think one of the answers to that, Psalm 33, is this. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is what? His unfailing love. My hope is not what my picture of my future, my hope is not ultimately in my ability to get there, my strategy. My hope is in God's commitment to me, his unfailing love. And, and if you've been disappointed, I just pray in these next few minutes you get a sense, you shift the anchor of your hope to your plan, your desire, even, but I'm sure that was good. To put your hope, let it anchor on God and specifically on what the psalmist calls his unfailing love. It's an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word hesed. And older translation, you know, if you've been around from the 70s, like some of us, there was that old song, Thy loving kindness is better than life. The old translation said that. If you're around from the 80s or 90s, it became the steadfast love. And it's the same word behind it. And it's like, that's quite different. Like, how do you have loving kindness or steadfast love? Do you know what? This, the translators realized that there was this element of tenderness to the word. That's where they, some of them went for loving kindness. Then they realized, no, it comes out of a covenantal there's a strength to this thing, and that's where they change to steadfast in newer translations. And it's like, where, how can you have a concept of both tender love and steadfast love? Well, probably like Sam, I take weddings, and a, and a man stands in front of a woman and says, this is my vow to you. I will love you. I will cherish you. It's covenant love. It's steadfast love. My hope is that God is more committed to me than I am to him. Um, I haven't got a picture of it, but when our kids were little, um, my mum used to live in a house that had 14 concrete steps going up to the front door. So I remember when our middle daughter was two, walk up to the steps and go, hold daddy's hand as we're going up the stairs. And, and she'd put her hand up. But I wouldn't just put my hand down and let her hold. I would hold her by the wrist. Why? Because if she trips, I want her safety to be based not on her grip on me, but my grip on her. Just let, just, where's your hope? God is more committed to you than you are to him. There was an old song, you know, I love you, I will never let you go. You don't want your faith to be based on your determination to never let God go. You want your faith to be based on this thing, he's never going to let me go. He has vowed out of a tender, fierce, committed love that he's never going to let me go. My hope is in not my understanding of situations, other people. My hope is this, God is more committed to me than I am to him. And he will never let me go. Uh, and so, you know, if you know the story of Israel's history, they kind of had these great promises. They went really well, got into the land up to David. And then it, what? That fly buzzing around my head. Yeah, well, we haven't had a shower for three days, man. <laughs> you said. <laughs> yeah, they're on my head. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't allowed to. We got rule. That was one of those rules, 300 rules. Anyway, we got distracted. Israel's low point, they lost everything. They wondered if it was all over. And, and, in the, and Jeremiah writes this book, Lamentations, not Lamentations. Lamentations, chapter three, the middle of the book. What's this? And it's like, is it all over? 
My, all my dreams have burned to the ground. I'm totally disappointed. It hasn't happened. And he has this incredible revelation. It's the heart of the Old Testament. What, because of God's hesed love, great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And, and this thought that, you know, that every morning God wakes up going, okay, I'm ready to journey on from here. And wherever your situation has got you to this morning, God's mercy arrives new today. And he says, come on, let's move. What's the way ahead from here? That's the source of my hope, that whatever happened yesterday, wherever even my choices or other people's choices have landed me this morning, God's mercy arrives new today and says, takes us by the hand and go, let's walk into your future. Let's go into your future. Because of that, I have hope. Come on, you have hope today because he's committed to you. And wherever life has landed you this morning, he arrives and says, come on, it's a new day. Let's walk ahead from here. Oh, what happened there? You know, you see it in the book of Job. We often, oh yeah, Job's these 40 chapters of just carnage and terrible, but we kind of forget the brackets at the end. At the end, yeah, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes, gave him twice as much. And everyone, all his brothers and sisters, and everyone had known him before came and ate with him. They comforted him, consoled him over all the trouble God had brought on him. And then, and then you won't understand this, but it's basically everything that's listed is double what he had at the start. And it just finished with this. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Yeah, there was a really deep, dark valley in the middle. But it's not over till it's over. And if it's not good, it's because God's not finished yet. And there's always hope in his unfailing love, that he's committed to me in love. And it's like, oh, so, so I, I, I would say, looking back on my Christian life, to learn how to deal with disappointment is probably the biggest thing to keep moving forward. But, but I reckon the other battle is failure. It's one thing to know other people let me down. It's another, one th- another thing to go, I know why I'm here. I screwed up. <laughs> I, it's my fault. I can't blame anyone else. I made some bad decisions. And I great, great news for you. This passage, actually, Israel knew that they had screwed up. They knew why they were in this place. They had, they had disobeyed God. They had walked. And that's the profound insight that when they thought God is like, okay, wash my hands of you. God's like, no, no, I, I committed to, to you. I, did a, I made a vow to you. I don't walk away from my vows. Now, your, your choice has brought you to this point. I don't take away the consequences, but I walk you forward from today. My mercies are new today for people who even failed. And so even hope there. And, and this is the classic thing at the end of John. You know, Peter had messed up when they finished eating. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, and this is, this is like, this is all he needs to know. Simon, do you love me? Yeah, I don't know if I can, yeah, kind of, okay. We're going forward, Peter. You were always called to ministry. Feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, yeah, you know, kind of, I kind of love you. Well, take care of my sheep. 
third time, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him, do you love me? But he's reversing the three denials. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. That the greatest failure in the New Testament, Peter, who denied Jesus, Jesus in his resurrection power comes and says, come on, there's a tomorrow, Peter. There's a future. My gifts, my calling are irrevocable. We're going forward from today. Man, we need to carry a message of hope for people. Um, This is my favorite bit of art, one of the icons about the resurrection. I love it because you can, it's Jesus risen, but the two figures either side are supposed to be Adam and Eve. And I love the sense of Jesus almost bracing himself and he's like, come on, I'm, I'm pulling you out of the tomb as well. I'm pulling you out of where you were. It's not just a resurrection that he rises. He grabs us by the hand and says, come on, you're coming with me. And it's not just from a place of mediocrity. It's like from a place where things had died. Some of you have got dreams that have died. And Jesus' Easter Sunday is a message. Come on. I love I loved his leg. The, just the, he's like he's braced himself. He's grabbed their hands. And he's like, come on. We're coming out of this. I pray this morning some of you sense like Jesus like grabbing your hand. It's like, it ain't over. Come on. What's that? Yeah, around the wrist. Oh, my God. She's good. I shouldn't even notice that. That will preach next time. Oh, my goodness. I've never noticed that. Oh, anyway, you get the point. He's not like, here, grab hold of me. He's like, come on, we're coming out of here. And for some of you, I wonder, God wants to lead you into resurrection. But I think for me, one of the things that, um, I, I think sometimes we have a wrong idea about Easter Sunday and resurrection. Sometimes we feel like it's like this, da-da-da-da. So we, um, I studied a, a seminary in the Philippines, and every Easter Sunday, they would have this thing where they invite all the students up, and they'd all sing the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. And I was like, hallelujah. And it's like, no, that actually is about his exaltation and return. That's not what resurrection looks like. It's not all like, da-da-da-da, victory chant. What does resurrection look like? I like? There's a passage. I reckon resurrection looks like this. A new seedling of hope. A new sign of life. And there's an invitation this morning to receive a new sign of life. One of my favorite kind of stories about this is is an interpretation that N.T. Wright has of this account. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Maybe I could get the, can I just get the keyboard or something maybe? Because I want to invite you to kind of go into this thing of letting God speak to you. So maybe if we can just play something quiet, that'd be cool. so pick, this is resurrection. This is what resurrection was. So this is the fact of resurrection, but what's the experience of resurrection? This was Mary's experience of resurrection. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the feet. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And they're like, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. It's like, I just, I want to care for this lost dream. I just want to be there and kind of 
this is what I'd set my heart on, this man and his dreams and his vision. And I just want to kind of, it's over. But I just, that's where my heart still is. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And it just says this, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, because that personal thing. At the point of the point of brokenness, the point of fear, the point of disappointment, that that interpersonal Mary. And suddenly she turned and cried out in Aramaic, Rubber Night. And N.T. Wright just is fascinated by this. I mean, thinking it was a gardener. And again, John plays on multiple levels with language. One level, oh yeah, it's a big garden. There's a sore random guy, I thought he must be the gardener. On another level, where was the first time there was a gardener? His name was Adam, the new creation. Just let God's kind of anointing come. And it's like, this is like, this is like the dawn of heaven. This is like the dawn of creation again. This was like the second Adam, Paul will say. This was like a new beginning again. This was like the seedling of a whole new creation. It wasn't angelic armies. It wasn't angelic choirs. It was just a man that she mistook for like, a new beginning. That's what resurrection looks like. The seed of a new beginning. The seedling of a new beginning. Something fresh. Something that was once a dream that got lost. And suddenly there it is again. All of the dream of what was supposed to be there it is again. And it looks fresh and new and innocent again. And it feels alive. And it's, and it's a resurrection. What does resurrection look, look, look like for you today? Fresh dreams. Fresh hope new beginnings, things that you thought were over, fresh and new again, things that you thought were gone, fresh and new again. And we get to steward not, not a sudden crashing victory, but we get to steward a new little seedling of hope that's going to grow and to become something amazing.